Welcome back to Marlena Dietrich, part two. We're still early in Marlena's career. This is her third film with Von Sternberg, her second film in Hollywood. And she plays a spy in this one. Well, she she plays a uh, sex worker become spy. This was the theme of the year because in 1931, not only did Marlena play a spy, Greta Garbo also played a spy. Marlena was X-27, that was her spy name, and Garbo was Matahari. So these two films were going neck and neck. They were vying with each other because, as you'll remember from our previous podcast, Marlena was brought over to be the anti-Garbo, to to be the competition to Garbo, to bring that sexuality and that uh, androgyny uh, Highly feminine androgyny, and, if you will, highly and continental. Yeah, that that European sophistication over here, uh, and so they they had the two head to head, and they were both doing spy movies this this particular year. This is a quote that acknowledges Marlena's recognition that. Von Sternberg created her and made her who she was and made her career. And she uh, basically wrote to her husband all the time, and she told him everything. I mean, she told him about all her affairs and how she felt, and all the letters that her lover sent her, she'd forward on to him to read and <laughs> file away. I swear to God, it's so weird. So while she's in America, her daughter and her husband stayed in Germany for a while, and she wrote in her letter to, to her husband, you... Oh, no, this is a, this is a, oh, that's right. And every letter that she wrote to her lovers, she would make a carbon copy and send a copy to her husband, <laughs> swear to God. <laughs> and, and they have them all. They, the daughter has them all. So anyway, uh, this, is from, this is from the letter that she forwarded. She sent this to von Sternberg and then forwarded it to her husband. You, only you, the master, the giver, reason for my existence, the teacher, the love of my heart and brain must follow. Wow. Yeah. So, there you have it. Should we talk about the racist dolls? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> yeah, ahead. I mean, yeah, we should. Um, so, obviously, it was a different time. Very much different. Um, but Ruth Marlena received a lot of gifts from Joseph von Sternberg and from all her lovers. But she had a couple of particular gifts that she liked to keep by her, kind of as tokens. Yeah, she was super, as, really, uh, really highly oh, superstitious yeah. about them. I mean, she would freak out if she could find them. that's yeah. what I meant. Yeah. yeah. She would freak out. Yeah. <laughs> They're called Lancy Dolls. Lancy Dolls. This company that made these really, really racist depictions <laughs> they were. of well, people. Well, and I, I don't think they saw them as racist. I think they yeah. saw them as as like like little dolls. The like, mascot of whatever. Yeah, but Yeah, exactly. I don't think they saw it that way. And they weren't sure. they weren't nasty like some of them were. But they certainly reflected a racist kind of perspective, just an unawareness that that was racist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So she had these. She had a black doll and a Chinese doll. Yeah, and uh, yeah, she loved them, and she would actually insert them into uh, shots in her, all of her films. Yes, for until Pretty later much. on. Yeah, yeah, later on she didn't. But the, all these first ones, if you look very carefully in the background, you'll see it sitting yeah, somewhere. I guess like an Easter egg or. Something. Well, I don't think she intended. She just wanted to have it there. I think. Yeah, but. I don't know. Anyway, she, she would put them in the shots, but um, they kind of. For her, represented uh, what she luck. It was good luck. Yeah, yeah. I what mean, she'd gotten from von Sternberg. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. It was luck. So anyway, I have to say that, uh, and they were called 
the Savage and Cooley is what the name that uh, Von Sternberg gave to, to the dolls. Ugh. I know. I just well, and you can go online and you can look up Lancy dolls and you can see them. Yeah, and see what they look like. Um, or you can watch the films and look for the dolls. <laughs> yeah, I never saw the the Asian one. I only saw. I think I did. did I you? don't know where. But. Oh, you probably did. I, I think actually pointed it out to me. So anyway, it, it it's interesting again, like a lot of things. Um, well, actually, and the thing about Marlena that struck me, and and actually for a lot of people is that. A mindset, a, a lack of awareness of the where they're racist yet they're not prejudiced in a certain way, because Marlena, she was friends with Nat King Cole, and she would say, "Hey, how can I be racist? I'm friends with Nat King Cole." And she, in fact, in the next film that she does, which we haven't talked about yet, called Shanghai Express, she stars with another woman named Anna May Wong, who right. is sort of like uh, one of the very rare Asian actors who broke through and became known and 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 respected as an actor she had an affair with anna may wong mm-hmm. uh asian woman yeah but at the same time she she would make these like overarching very very, very racist statements yeah. about black people shouldn't be nurses and so she, it was there it was yeah, definitely this kind there. of um I guess cognitive dissonance is yeah. the right word to use, where it's like she'd meet a person, a who belief was, system versus the in the moment, exactly. specific relationships. Right, exactly. She could see the individual and go, "Wow, this is a smart person," or mm-hmm. Annie Wong, boy, she's beautiful and sexy, and I'm attracted to her, or whatever. Uh, but she couldn't take that and generalize it to the world. Mm-hmm. So we thought we should just acknowledge that that was part of her character as well as everything else. So in my opinion, Dishonored is not the best von Sternberg uh, Dietrich uh, vehicle. What do you think? How, it had, how do you rate it? I agree. Um, we decided that there were a couple good moments in it, which is kind of Marlena's purview, right? Like she wants one or two glorious entrances or close-ups. Yeah, I, I think so. She Well, she looks gorgeous. Would mm-hmm. you agree with me there? Of course. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely gorgeous, as always. Uh, von Sternberg would never allow her to be anything less than, is gorgeous the right word? Um, startling, revelatory. Divine. Divine. <laughs> exactly right. So, but it's, it is worth watching to see her, to see the look of the time, and to see this persona of X-27 that he creates. She's somewhat wily. She's attractive. And unfortunately, I guess maybe because a man wrote this, I don't know, she falls in love with this Russian spy. She's a German spy and he's a Russian spy. And he's so unattractive. He's just the wrong person for the role. This sort of suave, smooth-talking, wily guy is played by an actor uh, named Victor McLaughlin. And anybody who knows old movies knows this guy. But he looks like a boxer, and he often played a thug or a boxer. That was his usual metier. I don't know how he got this part, but he does not fit the part. And so I was just kind of like, <laughs> whenever she would like do things that were that put her in danger... Okay, we're going to do a spoiler here? Yeah. I mean, the movie is 1931, so how many years is that? How many people are going to watch it, <laughs> 80, honestly? 85, 90 years ago? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, <laughs> all right, we're going to spoil it. So if, if you're going to watch it, uh, you can go ahead and, and 
fast forward a little bit and we'll be over it. I mean, it doesn't spoil any really anything that much, you know. Anyway, <laughs> do you want to take one and I'll take one? Sure. Okay, which one do you want to take? Uh, you go first. All right. I'm going to tell you now, I'm warning you, this is a spoiler. At the end, at the very end, she's going to be shot by a firing squad, which is pretty awesome, actually. Yeah. And she she's wearing her dress, and she's wearing a cloche hat with the veil, and she looks all, like, very stylish and cool. They give her, they, they understand how how incredible of a woman she is, so they give her, you know, all the... The things she needs. She has a piano in her cell. Yeah, stuff. That's she does. And she's playing the piano. But she goes out to be, be shot, and one of the soldiers totally refuses. I will not shoot a woman. And basically, they were trying to show how fruitless and pointless war is and this kind of thing. But so there's a scene where this a young soldier who she walked with and is charmed by her erupts, and I'm not going to shoot a woman. And she. While this is happening, it's so great. She pulls up the side of her dress, reaches into her stockings, because she's wearing garters, pulls out a lipstick, <laughs> quickly applies the lipstick, puts it back before she's going to get shot, so that she, her lipstick <laughs> is fully fresh on and she gets shot. Oh, it's just magnificent. I love it. And the way I describe it, it makes it sound super cheesy. It's it's just wonderful. It's magnificent. It's such a fantasy. Yeah, it's great. And and the way she does it, too, and maybe this was, this was probably one of those Von Sternberg acting moments where he was like... Like, look to the right, count to five. But she just, um, this soldier, he's naive and idealistic and stuff. And you can just, like, kind of tell from her expression and stuff. She's like, this is happening anyway. Yeah. She's very blasé, almost. Wonderful moment. Looking you know? good. One could only hope that one will have that kind of composure when one faces <laughs> yeah, really? the firing squad. Yeah. Hey, as long as I've got my, you know, deep red lipstick on, I'm good. Yeah. The other moment comes a little bit before that in the movie when she's in her cell waiting to be executed. And I think she plays a song for the soldiers on her piano and whatnot. And the young man comes in to take her outside. And she, before leaving, asks him, do do you have a mirror? And uh, he holds up his Samer sword that's... um, Shiny. Must, must be very shiny, but she she adjusts her hat and her hair in it into and the uh, light reflecting off of the saber kind of creates a stripe across her her oh, eyes. Yeah, um, and it's a really cool moment. Um, All right, are we gonna uh, the next? She continues working with von Sternberg. She's still sleeping with him. He's coming basically the way she would have it. Um, she had other lovers. Now she'd picked up several lovers. Um, you know, throughout. I think she finally stars or yeah. She finally slept, well, co-stars and also, uh, remember, they're on a lot. And they have dressing rooms on a lot, like like their little bungalows, little houses almost. Like hers was right next door to Mae West. And she and Mae West ended up being great buddies. And they would drink together and laugh and stuff. And apparently they weren't really friends. She wasn't friends with any women, actually, outside of work. Other than, I mean, she had lo- women lovers, but they weren't like friends. I don't know if she really had any friends, really, frankly. But she and Mae West were were good buddies. And, okay, I'm going to digress here and tell you a little Mae West, Marlene Dietrich, Gary, uh, not Gary Cooper, um, not Clark Gable. Oh, my gosh. Cary Grant. Cary Grant. Yeah. Because Cary Grant, as I may have mentioned before, was the protege of Mae West. She kind of discovered him, uh, got him some small parts in movies. He played her chauffeur in one of the movies. And so he's kind of hanging around. He's not a star yet or anything. Very good looking. And apparently what he would do is he would buy shirts 
and then he would sell them on the set to make <laughs> extra right. money. <laughs> Which is very funny. <laughs> Apparently, um, he is was quite not a miser, but he was he was a money warrior, and so he was kind of a miser because he didn't spend very freely, and he's always worried about the cost of everything and and getting deals and stuff like Fixated. this. Yes, <laughs> and apparently. Years later, someone told this story, and I don't remember who, but this was when Cary Grant was long been a star, had plenty of money. And he had a stereo, and this guy came over and said, oh, yeah, I got that same stereo. He goes, how much did you pay for it? And he told him, and it was less than he paid for his, and he just he couldn't let go of it the entire evening. That's <laughs> 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 very funny. Okay, back to the, the set. So Marlena, apparently uh, now Gary Cooper, who that's why he was on my mind, although she didn't get with him in their movie Morocco because Lupe Velez was uh, standing in the way, apparently – uh, he was started sniffing around her, uh, mm. her. I keep wanting to call her cabana, but it was her uh, trailer, and uh, so the trailer. He got in there, and so they started up, and she started an affair with uh, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. And that was a, actually a fairly long running affair for five or six years, uh, wow. and he was really cra- crazy, crazy, crazy about her. But he couldn't get over the fact that he would they would have dinner with her husband and his mistress. <laughs> That was just a bit much for me, you know. He was that that sophisticated in quotes. Anyway, so she's living the high life. Uh, she's really at the peak. She's creating all her costumes. Her little daughter. Uh, we got a lot of this information from her little daughter, who was there all the time. Never went to school. Refused to send her to school. And I did mention that the daughter had a little white coat that she would wear like the other women who did makeup and stuff. And she would, like, take care of her cases and had little jobs and stuff like that. It's really sad, man. Anyway, um, this is what's going on. Now she's into Dishonored. Again, she creates her costumes. She stars with Victor McLaughlin. She's a spy. It's a big hit. It's how did it compare to Matahari? Well, actually, I was going to say, I think that is going to be a podcast uh, where we'll do a smaller podcast where we'll watch both of them and we can do a compare and contrast. Okay, we'll let you know. Yeah. Popularity-wise, do you have any sense? I really don't know. I, I'm not sure about that. That would yeah. be something to look up. I will say my personal opinion, I can give that. I actually think Matahari is a better movie. So they're continuing on. And now we have the penultimate von Sternberg Dietrich uh, vehicle, which is Shanghai. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It isn't penultimate. We've got three more to go. Uh, Shanghai Express, which is a train, and it takes place a lot on the train. Mostly on the train. In Set in and around in Shanghai. A- yeah, yeah. And Asia and um, so forth. Was not filmed there. Was filmed on no, a yeah. Hollywood set, <laughs> yeah. but... Yeah. Pretty much China, I think, it takes place yeah. in China. And what's, what's interesting about this is Marlena... What does she play? She, what does she play again? She's just some like could, fancy lady on a train, like I think. a like a prostitute. Maybe Pro- I think she's like a high class courtesan. Yeah, type. totally. Yeah. She's another another one. He, von Sternberg. He just had a thing about that. Yeah, and she dresses all in black with these incredibly magnificent feathers. I guess she spent days mm-hmm. looking for the right feathers that would have a, a gleam that would gleam in the in the light that would not be too flat that that you know all of this and you'll see these magnificent feather boas and and collars and things totally and what's really interesting about this is and I don't remember whether we said this last time but Marlena loved to eat and apparently she ate unfettered in between she just ate whatever she wanted and then she learned to purge 
And then she also learned that in between, she just kind of starved herself. She just ate, you know, drank mineral water and ate pretty much nothing. I don't, I forget. But not turnips. No, no turnips. <laughs> no turnips, man. <laughs> uh, but so she ate very little and starved herself to get her weight down. So that's what she did. Well, unfortunately, this crept up on her faster than she realized, and she knew she wasn't going to be able to lose the weight. So she wanted to dress all in black, and she knew she had to break it up because she said, all in black, that's going to look terrible. So she broke it up, and also she used the feathers, and you'll note this, to kind of hide her middle section and so forth. And huh. I mean, she always thought she was fat. I'm, I'm sure she was fine, but she just felt that way because she needed to be ultra thin, I guess, as many women did. So you can kind of look for that as you're you're watching the watching the thing. Also, um, so she has another really boring lead again, lead male lead in Clive Brook, who's a British. Well, actually, he's actually kind of in a way perfect for the part because he plays it a British officer over there in the possessions, and he's stalwart, and he's got the stiff upper lip, and the, I mean, he's really the stereotypical. Uh, British officer and but he's kind of dull he doesn't have any pizzazz or sex appeal yeah it's just kind of an authority his authority which almost takes the place of what should be there which is like I don't know passion yeah (laughs) (laughs) and well really you know the right actor probably would have had both yeah but that was you know if you look at British movies of that time that's kind of how men are there's you know no feelings you know um, so, but he's supposed to have a passion for her. But there is kind of a hot little interchange. I thought, yeah, totally, a passionate kind of sexy uh, relationship between her and the other high class prostitute on the train, in played by Anna Mae Wong. Yeah, so they share a compartment together, and uh, they're kind of they have an interesting relationship because they don't they don't become friends they're like an alliance yeah and an understanding yeah it's it, there's definitely like politics going on and also um magnetic sort of attraction i think between the two of them right well it's, and it's interesting too because this is you know the 30s and so here's this asian woman and anime wong was that you know singular i guess you're only allowed to have one <laughs> in those days the singular asian who was a female who was able to break through be a star she was known uh, of course she could only play certain kinds of parts she didn't have the the freedom that uh, a lot of the you know the other actors had but she definitely uh, was a, a presence a beautiful woman uh, had a wonderful mystery in terms of this role she she was playing playing it close to the chest, playing it political, and I think that really came through. Mm-hmm. As far as how the the look of the film, I I don't know. I kind of had this impression, but I don't know whether it's the film Marlena is the most beautiful in, but for me, it might be the one that she's kind of the most striking in. Yeah, she she kind of comes out. She's, she's like got that take charge energy. And also, I think that the female power, because I think this is unique. This is yeah. unique in her films where there are clear- two strong leads that are equal yeah. to each other. Even though Anime Wong does not have the screen time, she's not ostensibly the star. There's an alliance and there's an energy mm-hmm. between them where, where you don't get her having any kind of energy or alliance with women in any of her films. Or yeah. your films at all, or and any of her films. It's also it's one of the more active films. Like the, I think the train gets um, hijacked at one point, mm-hmm. and there's there's a little bit of violence in the movie, and um, 
I think Anna Mae Wong actually spoiler. Um, she has a you know she has a dagger and so she she has this a violent moment. I think she stabs someone. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't see that very often in those old older films. Yeah, well, and also it's a little bit. They they give her a little bit of the quintessential Asian type, the mystery, the you know uh, we we don't understand where Tight they're coming casting. from. They're sneaky because she's got a dagger. But what's so interesting is is that even though there are these stereotypical elements, as a performer, she's able to infuse them with reason and you know that the character's reason, the character's point of view, the character's motivation, so that it doesn't feel stereotypical. It, it is fresh. And the other thing to, uh, that to make a note of, and maybe this is the reason for the energy between the two women, is that they actually did have a, a brief affair. So During the filming? I don't know. They didn't. Uh, I, the source that I looked at did not give any specifics, but I'll bet it was during the filming because that's what Marlena did. Have you seen Anna Mae Wong in other films? I have not. I, I know that she made other films, but I have not seen her. We'll have to check one out, see yeah. whether she's a, yeah. a good actress or whether she was just good in this part. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now we come to the penultimate Von Sternberg-Dietrich vehicle, and this is one that I love. That's one of my very it's a, fa- a standout in the canon, for yeah. sure. I think this might have been the first one I've ever seen. Is this the first one I showed you? We watched Destry Rides again first. Oh, I think right. this might have been the second one, and this is the one that really, where Marlene is really the centerpiece. Yeah, totally. This is called Blonde Venus, and it uh, was 1932, so she's done, this is her third movie in the span of a year, year and a half. And I, I have to say... I think it was not that popular when it came out. Because in it, not only does Marlena play a prostitute, she plays a mother. Yeah. (laughs) Prostitute with a heart of gold. Always with a heart of gold, except in Blue Angel. Right. But, yeah, so she plays, she starts out as a mother. And she's the mother to Dickie Moore. That's the name of the little actor. (laughs) And he was one of the kids in The Little Rascals. Our gang are the little rascals. He was one of the kids in that. And so he's he's was a little face that you'd see a lot in, during those times. And so she was his mother, and she bathes him, takes care of him, makes food. And, and then she, her husband is a guy that she'll be in a, several movies with, Herbert Marshall. What do you think of Herbert Marshall? Well, in this movie, to me, at least, he's the villain. So that might have kind of set off my relationship with him <coughs> uh, from the beginning. But I think he's he's good as the villain. He's uh, just a, a privileged man who really has black and white beliefs about like men and women and what his wife should be and um, and his how he possesses his family. Well, there is that. But I also would add that and to support your point is that he also is doing it without any logic. Because what he's what he's demanding of her is not logical. You want to? Um, I'll let you speak to that okay. more. But also, I will say to as to his acting, um, I'm not really sure about the romantic chemistry between the two of them. No. I don't think it's there really. But um, I really, he really evoked a lot of you know <laughs> negative emotions in me. <laughs> I think he did a good job. <laughs> yeah, he did. I mean, uh, Herbert Marshall. If you've seen him, he's he's a low key actor, but he's not. He's not ill-cast. I think he's well-cast, unlike Victor McLaughlin. And unlike Clive Brook, um, he is... There's feeling there. You can feel that there's feeling and there's emotion. It's just... It's pretty Englishly tamped down, Yeah, I think. I mean, and he's portrayed as a character who's also tortured, you know. 
Um, maybe yeah. we should talk a, a little bit about the plot. Yeah. Now. Sure. Um, so she's a housewife, and then something happens, like a, a debt. No, he's got a uh, he's got some kind of radiation poisoning or something, and he's going to die. They said basically he has a certain number of months to live, and the only thing <laughs> the only thing that will save him, I think they're in England, they're in Europe, is to send him to America to this one place, and it's the only place that has this treatment, and that treatment could save him, but it costs a lot of money, and they're not rich; they don't have a lot of money. So Marlena sort of takes to I think she goes to a nightclub and starts um performing performming and and then sleeping with men for money as well in order to earn the money. And this is very lightly hinted at and so unless you really know the conventions of the time you might have a hard time kind of figuring out exactly what's happening but yet that's essentially what happens. Right. And he finds out. He finds out and he f- flies into a rage. And so I mean he's he's a shown to be He's supposed to be sympathetic in the sense that, you know, his family's torn apart. There's this immoral um, basis for where all this money is coming from. But she's cheating on him. She's cheating on him. And he's, like, lost a lot of power in the relationship. Right. And um, and so he becomes so enraged that I think she leaves him. Well, he, he throws her out. Okay. And he's going to take the... Uh, and she... Well, actually, no. He, he kind of throws her out. She actually flees. And she... Because he's going to take her son away from her. So she takes her son with her. And then he sort of becomes like that guy in uh, Les Mis. Uh, uh, what's not Jean Valjean, the other guy? Yeah, the policeman. Yeah, the policeman. Uh, oh God, I just so name. dogged. Yeah. yeah. He just he's, he dogs her. He, he, he pursues her because to get, the, to get the son back. Right. And she sinks further and further into... Because she doesn't want to be a prostitute. She doesn't want to be owned by a man. Mm -hmm. So she becomes, she's miserable and also I think um, just becomes more impoverished as time goes on as well. Um, And so she's living in a really terrible situation. But before the whole decline, there are some really amazing performances. And since we're spoiling everything, we'll say that it has ostensibly a happy ending if you want them to get back together. Right. Which I think is a terrible idea, but also, I guess, you know, material, the, the material uh, considerations sort of have to be factored in. Well, supposedly they really love each other and the sun brings them back together. But also, for the mores of the time, that's the happy ending. Right. They're, you know, she couldn't, like, dig some other guy and be with him and, yeah. and share custody or whatever, you know. It's not and she doesn't happen. die at the end, so. No. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, I don't think the Hayes Code was fully, fully in force at the time. Also, they, if you've, if you've noticed in her movies, she doesn't actually um, have sex with anybody else, kind of. I mean, it's, yeah. it's so, it's signified, but it's not said. Therefore, it's okay. She can survive because she didn't actually, they didn't actually say that she did this thing. Right. And, and she did it for the love of her husband anyway. Um, so. Well, I like your feminist uh, analysis of that. I, the thing about him losing power in the family, it's just not, that's not something I really even thought of. Yeah. But that's a very good point. Yeah, I find it could be kind of a complex movie, and um, it's, it's really tragic in a lot of ways. And I wasn't necessarily happy that they got back together, but yeah. um, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful film. Uh, and the way he lit it, you, you see there's just a lot of glow. There's a lot of matting that can make it a little bit uh, fuzzy, but her hair is, is all aglow in this <laughs> film, which is very important. She had some great clothes. Oh, my God. She has a dress that has 
like a diamond collar and a beaded, I don't know if it's diamonds or crystals down the front, and then a mink. Uh, cuffs and diamond, I don't know. Cuffs at the elbows, cuffs at the wrists. Yeah, like. <laughs> and a cloche hat with big crystal earrings. And I think we should make a point of, of noting that the shirt salesman is in this. Oh. Yeah, he's he plays the guy, the rich guy, the rich kind of hulumi guy that she takes up with who provides her with the money for her husband to go to, uh-huh. to uh, America. And in fact, oh, I think we need to make the point that the husband does go to America. Yeah. Now, they make it before he finds out how she got the money, but how'd she get this money? You know, does he ask that? Does he look at, no, she just provides this, and so he goes off to America, and he gets well, and then he comes back, and then he goes nuts. Oh, so yeah. So let's make the... There's some self-interest there, yeah, maybe. Some some sure. uh, targeted blindness. And then I think this, the height, the peak of this film is a certain scene that I remember when I saw saw this. I think this was the first Marlena Dietrich movie I ever saw. Which I, I saw it at the Repertory Theater, which I've mentioned so many times, sitting in the theater, and I'm watching her in the nightclub. Do you, Shall I give you the glory of describing the scene, or shall I? I want you to describe it, but let me say first that... I think this is, it's a peak in the movie. It's a peak in Marlena's career. And it's also a peak in Hollywood. I think, yes, I think it's it's br- brilliant. It's, it's almost pointed, you know, or yeah. it, has a, it, has a, it has a point. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, we're going to tell you the scene. But first I want to say, if you intend to watch this movie, do not listen to this because it is so great not knowing. To me, anyway, it was a surprise. I didn't expect it. And the, the reveal is fantastic. So don't listen to this. Watch the movie and come back. Mm-hmm. Just fast forward three minutes. Yeah. Or just pause, go get the movie right now, watch sure. it, and start again. That's what <laughs> Look I Look it up on YouTube, whatever. Yeah, whatever, you got to watch this. Anyway, so Marlena, after all these scenes of domesticity and her loving her child and the, the, the trying to be a good wife and the struggle, she ends up showing that she's got way more talent than her husband does. And so she goes, she gets a job in a nightclub. All of a sudden, they're, they're showing you one of their their set pieces. So that I don't do you think this is racist? I guess I had never considered that. Is this a racist piece here this this scene? Because it's they're African warriors, I guess. Warriors, tribal people and stereotypical. They've got the big blown out fro hair and they've got spears and stuff. And so they're dancing and they've got the music. I think it is That's kind true. of That's true. Yeah, totally. I mean, <laughs> it's like orientalist yeah, racism yeah, at yeah. least. I forgot I mean, about the whole backdrop. I yeah. just remember the like the, the foreground. <laughs> yeah. And it and it's a terrific thing. So I I I I'll just fess up. I still love it. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to acknowledge and it's not mean or bad or nasty or anything but i just want to acknowledge that maybe by today's eyes this this is probably this might be a little bit problematic it's possible so anyway so they're dancing and out comes a gorilla doing amazing full suit full suit full and uh, with a chain around the neck and it comes out and it does all the gorilla movements and all this and it all of a sudden it starts like bopping to the beat of the music and it's swaying back and forth and all of a sudden as it sways it grabs one paw and it pulls the paw off and there's this beautiful shockingly white shockingly white beautiful long hand and marlena hated her fingers she thought they were fat but i don't 
her hand looked great to me. And then she pulls off the other hand and then she pulls off the head and she is wearing a gigantic white afro. Yeah. And then she takes the entire thing off. She's wearing this nor- this beautiful glittering costume as always. Slinky, lots of leg. Yes. And she sings a song and it, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's it's a, it's a fantastic reveal. Mm-hmm. And I I have to admit I still like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah, like there are a lot of levels that you could analyze it on, like a cultural one for sure. But I think it's it's a great piece of commentary right in the middle of this movie about complicated gender roles and like women's place in society and how hard that can be and that it's a catch twenty two and stuff. So this transition from this like what is beauty really? Yeah, this like primal animal to and frankly. It's just a great piece of theater. Totally. And that's what I actually, I actually resonate to. It's just like you're going, you don't expect it. It's this big, hairy, gar- I was like, this hand. It, it, just the way they do the reveal is fantastic. That's the high point to me. And I think it, I agree. I think even though she's got many, many, many years to go, to me, this is, in terms of her image, her icon, this is the peak. This is the thing that establishes it. Yeah, maybe one of the most artistic moments that she has in film. Um, she does sing another number in a tails, in coattails, and white, white, top hat. White, white tails. Yes, very, very dramatic. So I, I, I do recommend that one a lot. And then, because, um, okay, so we're going to get into Marlena's sexuality again a little bit, but because she was, she'd been amassing these lovers, and, and what she would have them do is they would stay the night, especially von Sternberg, would stay the night, sleep with her. Then in the morning, they'd get up before the child woke up, get in their car, drive around, and then they would come back and they'd drive up in the driveway and get out of the car, like they'd go home maybe and shower, come home, come back for breakfast, drive their car back for breakfast as if they were just arriving. <laughs> so she had them do this. this I, I think it was really more of a game because... Um, her daughter says she was well aware of what was going on. Sure. She yeah. knew what was happening. So It was more of a pow- kind of a power play. Or- yes. <laughs> and so she had, uh, I think by this time, yes, by this time she had developed a, a fairly long-running affair with Maurice Chevalier. Uh, and he was became real close buds with her husband. They were, they'd, hunt, they'd hang out together, go on trips together and stuff. They just were really close buddies. And... What happened was, is von Sternberg be, would get jealous, and she would say, "No, I'm not." Sleep-. She would lie, and she'd say, "I'm not sleeping with anybody else. You're the only one." She actually told every single go- person she was sleeping with that that was the case. Hmm. She always told them, "You're the only one." No, you're the one I love. Oh, maybe I slipped up, but no, you're the you're the one. And so he just was getting fed up, and he, his jealousy uh, grew, and he just it got to the point where, you know, he was pretty. Abusive to her and get angry on the set and so forth, and she was abusive to him back. And even though it was a magical artistic combination, the the personal relationship was falling apart because she just could not stay faithful, and he couldn't stand it. So they basically broke up, didn't want to work together, and she ended up working with a different director in 1933 for a uh, a, a film called Song of Songs. What's your take on Song of Songs? It's it's different from everything that's come before because she comes in as like an innocent, quote unquote, right? Yeah, yes. She comes in as this country girl who's coming into the city for the first time. Her She's an orphan now or something and she has to stay with her aunt or some very distant person who's very strict and regulatory. Um, and she ends up sort of meeting an artist and then he was played by Brian Ahern, who is a very handsome guy, even though he had thinning hair. And he, 
Don't say that. <laughs> you did. And, and they ended up having a, a really long-term affair while she was having all these other affairs. And he was, he's English and so forth, but he actually had some, shows some feelings. And he was deeply, deeply in love with her, deeply in love with her. And it, it just, he just could, after a while, I couldn't take it anymore. But the daughter of her loved Brian Ahern. So I have a very good impression Marlena's of him. Marlena's daughter. Marlena's daughter. Um, so I have a good impression of him from that because apparently she, the two of them struck up their own relationship, even though she was, you know, eight or nine years old or 10, he would treat her like a real person. He would take her out to like the movies or the park. And he actually gave her attention that she didn't get from her own parents. And when he was gone, they would write letters and he would, and she discovered Hamlet. She saw John Barrymore do Hamlet. John Barrymore, who happens to be Drew Barrymore's grandfather, famous actor of that time and she was just overwhelmed by Shakespeare and she was a young kid and she had no money her parents didn't want her her mother didn't want to read anything but German like Goethe she <laughs> read Goethe <laughs> kind of stuff. So, so she begged Brian to send her Hamlet and so he actually sent her Hamlet and she would hide it and everything and he like Hamlet and he sent her uh, she wanted Macbeth or Othello or something anyway so he sent her these these Shakespeare volumes and would write to her about them and everything and so front to the time he died they were like close friends and I think that's a lovely story about that's this awesome. guy that's awesome yeah so essentially she's yeah she's the young girl she falls in love she has sex with him and that's her downfall she gets kicked out well so she, I think before that doesn't she pose oh right um, he he in the in the movie he plays a young artist who has a studio and he he finds her at the bookshop and thinks she's so beautiful. And convinces her to pose naked nude. in the nude in the nude for a statue, and he he. It's a terrible statue, it's by the way. It's pretty bad. It's really awful. <laughs> in the movie, they think it's great. It's such a amazing, like divine representation of the human form, or whatever. In fact, they think they did a body cast of her in order to create this statue. And what's interesting is Marlene always had a problem with her breasts because they were droopy, and her daughter said she was just like fanatical about her breast. It's a, a thing for her, and I guess they must have been pretty damn droopy. <laughs> and so she had special garments made and special um, uh, brassieres and. She finally created this whole bodysuit that she was like entirely wear. So in her older days, when she was in the, her sixties and seven, or in her sixties, and she was doing her world tour singing, and she wore these amazing dresses. She, you'll see, she always had a jeweled choker that she wore, and that was to hide the line of the bodysuit that she wore. Wow. So apparently, anyway, the point is, is they did this thing, but she had a big problem because her breasts weren't going to look like these perky little numbers here in the statute. So they had to, I forget exactly what the, how they <laughs> rectified that, but they, they, they uh, made the breasts work somehow. That's uh, the same. That's like hilarious and, and sad in equal parts. Like, <laughs> Come on, we all know the feeling, right? Yeah. I guess. I mean, not droopy breasts, but just the, some, there's something about your body you don't, you yeah. don't feel comfortable with. So yeah. anyway, yeah, she po- she does this statue, and that's how they end up having sex because she's naked. The, yeah, he, he can't hold, yeah. <laughs> and they but they fall in love and they have this whole relationship. But then there's this sleazy art collector that comes in right. and falls in love with her by seeing her statue. Or whatever. and that's Lionel Atwell is the actor for that kind of a older older stentorian kind of guy. And her her uh, aunt kicks her out and she has to go and be a courtesan with this guy. This old, the older he's guy, powerful and rich, right? Yeah. And the artist kind of skips out because he's kind of feckless and young, but he regrets it, of course, because he really is a good guy. Apparently, what's the ending to this one? Do you remember? 
Appears wild hunts everywhere, but has no luck. One evening, he enters a Berlin nightclub and sees Lily, now a fancy lady, singing the naughty song Johnny. Later, he takes her out of the nightclub and convinces her of his love and asks her to marry him. She can oh, so she ends up marrying the guy in the end. Okay. Well, that's nice. Another happy ending. Yeah, so to speak. For the fallen woman, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, she, lo- she loves him. But there is one part in the movie, remember, where she goes back, and he's gone, he's moved yeah. out, and she goes back to the studio after she's been kicked out. And doesn't she, like, fling herself full length on the floor? Oh, it's very melodramatic, yeah. <laughs> I laughed out loud. Oh, my God. I have to say, this is one of my worst movies. Yeah. I don't... Bad. It's boring. It's kind of boring. Yeah. I mean... No, it is. So the Song of Songs that said it had been filmed twice before, is it based off of a book or? I couldn't tell you. Okay. It just, so the title intrigues me because I took a course um, in college on the Song of Songs, like the book from the oh, Bible. Oh, Solomon, yeah. Yeah. And so I, like, you know, I'm trying to find some relationship between the story of the movie and why they well, would call it the, the Song of Songs. There's one point where they read a quote about, the, in true. fact, she, re- she has the Song of Songs and she's reading it. And I think her aunt gets mad at her because it's that's right dirty it's or something. Sexual, yeah. yeah, and the, I think the point it being that she is full of uh, this blooming sexuality and sensuality, and it's being repressed. And he brings it out, and she so this is she comes alive. And I think that that's the connection, tenuous as it is. So there is one great little story that comes out of this uh, Song of Songs movie. Marlena wrote it in a letter to her husband, so that's how we know what happened. And there's one scene where she and her love, Brian Ahern, are in this romantic reha, and they're on a hill, and the sun, and the trees, and the birds, and she's wearing this enormous tulle dress. It's a white and uh, fluffy and iridescent, and, and Ahern is in his little suit, whatever he's wearing, and they're having a romantic uh, little interlude there and there's one point where they're supposedly laying in the grass they're supposed to jump up and run up the hill and glorious love. <laughs> expression of their love exactly. they can't even stay still exactly in ecstasy <laughs> it's just erupting <laughs> and so apparently they they built a hill the 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 uh, film company built a hill and they put fake grass on it and fake trees so so they could control the environment well apparently all the grass is like glued down and everything and they've run and apparently brian ahern just had never learned how to run and he <laughs> didn't run right and they had to do it over and over and over because he just couldn't run <laughs> and the thing is i guess the grass was sticking to them and the glue and there were bugs because they loved to eat the glue and Every time they had to reset, they had to reset their hair and their makeup and clean off their clothes because they had bits of things all over them. So at one point, they're crouched down, and they're going to get ready to run, and he's like supposed to be in front holding her hand. And she says he saw a teensy-weensy little garden snake, and he turned absolutely white. He jumps up holding her hand and runs full tilt up the hill, dragging her behind him. <laughs> and they run to the top of the hill, and the director's yelling, cut, cut! And Brian Ahern, he, she said, we would have been in Pasadena if he hadn't finally gotten tired. <laughs> they just overran their mark, and <laughs> cut, cut! I thought that was really funny. So if you, I'm not recommending you watch the movie, but if you do, um, when you see that, that scene, you'll, you'll see some terror on his face. <laughs> thought it was very, very funny. So... After Song of Songs, we hit the last von Sternberg-Dietrich collaboration collaboration forever. And uh, they just, they were trying to get back together, both personally, kind of. There had been a whole thing where, see von Sternberg being married, 
his wife got mad. Hmm. And she sued him, was going to sue him for divorce and name Marlena Dietrich. In those days, you had to name, there had to be a reason for divorce, cruelty, adultery, whatever. And she was going to name Marlena Dietrich. And there was a lot of uh, issues there. And the fact that he wanted Marlena's love, he wanted her to be his wife, essentially. So they tried to get back together. The Scarlet Empress is the result. A phantasmagoria of Russian effulgence. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's supposed to be an epic. It, it is epic. It is epic. <laughs> but it's not epic in the terms of a visual. We think of uh, huge expanses, far horizons. It's not like Lawrence of Arabia epic. Right. It's more it's, claustrophobically epic. Yeah. Behind closed doors. It's a historical Piece. Story of Catherine the Great and how she ascends to the throne. And it's a very, very sketchy uh, story uh, of her story. But it's actually fairly accurate for the most part. Just, the, you know, she went to the Russian court. She married the, uh, the Grand Duke who was going to take over. And he was crazy. And actually, at first, they did get along. And then they didn't get along. They were really, really young when they got married. And... Basically, von Sternberg really kind of made this almost, I don't know, expressionistic, maybe? Yeah, I would definitely say it has something uh, in kindred with a lot of the German expressionist uh, films in terms of setting. and But it's more kitschy than that. <laughs> yeah, it's it definitely... Gothic kitsch. Gothic, gothic, yeah, definitely. Big, like, skeletal faces on the walls and, and these tables laden with food and very claustrophobic and everybody close in. But, of course, the most important part are the dresses. Yeah, oh man, it, because she plays a, I don't know, a princess or whatever she, um, whatever her title is. Grand, Grand Duchess, okay. Yeah, Grand Duchess. She, she gets to be decked out the Big entire time. time, wedding cake style. Big time, and there is one, one, one of the iconic scenes of this where she stands at the top of the stairs, and again, she did a lot of her own designing. She created a lot of these looks herself. A costume designer had said, "Oh, we're going to have this big velvet dress coat kind of thing, and have these paniers. And paniers are those uh, things that you that women would put on their hips to the sides that would extend the dress out way to the side. And she was going to wear." I guess the colors made a different in black difference in black and white, even if you couldn't see the color. He was going to put her in a blue velvet with like white ermine trim or something. And she said, No, that won't work. How about if we do it in green with a mink trim? And then she wore this big, like one of those Russian Ashkan hats, except it was mink. And she wore that and it's and she's standing at the top of the stairs very commandingly. It's pretty amazing. And uh, let's see. And her lead in this is a guy named John Lodge. He did not have a really big Hollywood career at all. Very good looking, though. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely kind of golden and dashing. Um, The long hair helps. For sure. Yeah. But he ended up uh, quitting uh, very... Signifies speed, you know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) And but he did. And he's the one who deflowered her in the movie. Uh Because at first she's like all innocent and she's acting like she's like this young, oh, innocent. And the thing is, is that von Sternberg was going nuts because he wanted her to stop acting because it was terrible. You know, it was just terrible. And then as soon as John Lodge gets her in the bushes and deflowers her, all of a sudden she's back to her usual Marlena self. comfortable again. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, she can be back to her usual (laughs) self. 
himself. <laughs> and that works well. And one of the things that's interesting about Lodge is he ended up quitting uh, films and he went into politics. And he got elected to, was he governor or senator or something like that? He actually yeah. was kind of a muckety-muck in politics. Yeah, one of those illustrious actors turned politicians. Oh, God, all right. (laughs) Um, So in the movie, who is her, so he's her romantic co-star. He's like the captain in the army or something like that, and he seduces her um, because she's living in this palace full of strangers, and her mother-in-law is terrible and quite the tyrant, and then her husband-to-be is really unstable. Unstable and and kind of not fully kind of matured. Impo- yeah, yeah, kind of impotent in a way. And apparently in, in real life, uh, I, I believe it, that Catherine the Great's child, the one child she had, was from this affair that she had. It was the only way she could conceive a child because, I mean, she was married to this guy for like 10 years before she... But anyway, so what were you going to ask me? Oh, who was her co-star, her husband? Oh, Sam Jaffe was the guy. He was a pretty well-known character actor at the time. He played, there's a movie called Gunga Dean, where he plays an Indian, as an East Indian uh, guy. I'm not sure what they call them, but he, a native, he wore a tur- little turban and a, and, a, and a clout. And he ran around with the British soldiers as sort of their mascot kind of thing it's pretty you know pretty old race racist kind of thing but Cary Grant was in that yeah (laughs) Dean Dean he would say (laughs) Dean Dean I remember him calling Dean I don't know it was I don't remember I liked it when I saw it but that was a long time ago so I don't know if I would still like it or not he also played Dr. Zorba in the Ben Casey series when I was a kid which was a, a medical medical series and the beginning of Ben Casey would be him at this chalkboard, and he would write the symbol for life, symbol for death, symbol for, he might have done man, woman, and then infinity. <laughs> <laughs> it was very dramatic. I remember that well. And uh, also another uh, person in this movie, there's some great, great uh, character actors, C. Aubrey Smith. He plays the... I think the father, father character. He's really old. And if you remember him from Captain Blood, he was the one who brought the message from the good King William that uh, Peter Blood and his men could have amnesty. That was the character he played. And just so you know, uh, C. Aubrey Smith in his young days, when he he was in the Boer War and in the 1800s, he was a famous cricketer. And if you go online and Google it, and you can usually find a picture of him, and he was pretty much of a hunk. He ended up being a, a very tall, uh, regal old guy. Craggy. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, looking, totally craggy. Uh, looking like he's got something to impart. He does, does. He has a great deal uh, in his breast. <laughs> Kept very close to impart. <laughs> very good. So anyway, how do you think this uh, falls within the, the canon? I think, well, I th- think it's certainly a spectacle. And like we said, there's, it's very gothic, which is kind of unusual. Um, and so there's a lot to look, the mise en place, like to just look around the sets they made is interesting whether or not you think it's, it looks good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and her costumes are great. But other than that, um, it didn't, it didn't really stand out to me as that interesting yeah although just now this connection occurred to me so that in the it ends with her takeover um her coup right um and so um 
Catherine leaves the castle and the soldiers rally around her and then they ride back in on horses and they've conquered the palace and she gets up on the steps and make announces well, she she rings the bell she rings the bell and apparently they did that over and over and over and over and over her ringing this bell because he, von Sternberg wasn't getting what he wanted out of her yeah and again she as an artist she said I thought he was crazy but he was right oh he he was right to make me do that even though at the time she could be terrible but the thing is is that she did to the end of her life honor him as an artist and say he made me he was right he always knew the right thing to do so she was okay with that even though he kind of tortured her Mm -hmm. and the other thing the other great story about this particular movie is marlene at that time when they were doing furs and things a lot usually they were real they didn't have faux fur so this is real mink this was real Fox, whatever they were using. And so Marlena expected them to give her uh, the furs, you know, to say, here, <laughs> just have them. And she was so mad that they didn't. But apparently what she did was uh, she went in one time be- before she even knew they weren't going to give them the furs. She wanted that mink hat. So she she wore a coat and she stuffed it under her coat and she walked it out of the studio. <laughs> <laughs> her says, I, love I think it. I think she would have uh, I think there was a mink cape oh that's right it was there was this really fantastic mink cape that's what she expected them to give her and uh, her daughter said had she known that this wasn't going to be presented to her she probably would have stuffed it on the other side too. of the coat too <laughs> oh, that was really really funny and I kind of love that <laughs> yeah you gotta love it gotta love it um, so yeah so one thing that occurred to me mm. About the end of this movie, I was thinking about it, and it's they rush in with the horses, and that's how it ends. It's like the triumph of her mm-hmm. conquest, and it that structure of movie that that ending to a film is kind of feels kind of strange to me because it feels rushed or I don't know, feels yeah. like it's right in the middle of the climax or something yeah. like that. And I was just thinking about it, and I thought it's exactly how I feel about the ending of the movie Dune. Like oh. I think they're kind of mirror each other. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. So I don't have much more to say about that. We can move on. But. Well, I think uh, actually there was there's one more really important point to make about Scarlet Empress, and that is the beginning scenes of there's an adorable little blonde girl who's supposed to be Marlena or uh, Catherine running around being a child and lying in bed and going to sleep, and that was played by her actual real daughter. So that was uh, Maria, uh, I guess it was Zeber at the time. Uh, Maria Riva is what her name is now, and she got married. And that was her, and she talks about how her mother was hovering over her and fixing every little hair and, you know, all (laughs) Because she's supposed to be playing Marlena. Yeah, (laughs) I think so. And the other thing that on all of these uh, movies, and pretty much most movies throughout her life, she always had a giant full-size mirror on set that and she made them position it not only to get the you know did she tell them how to position the lights she would tell them how to position the mirror so that throughout the entire scene she could always see what she was doing out of the corner of her eye kind of like dancers do and she'd make adjustments and she kind of uh, use that mirror in order to place herself properly it's kind of fascinating so she directed herself essentially yeah um, a lot of the time cool Okay. Well, you know, that really to me is the golden years. The you know, there are some other films that we're going to talk about, a few others that are really really good, but there's a really long period where she was, you know, okay. And but basically at this point she had solidified her her image and she kept that image 
and she tried to maintain it as she aged throughout, and she really, that was it. So that is really the end of the making of Marlena, the initial creation of her look, her presentation, who she is, and that's it. She never changes it. It's been it's been settled, and no matter who she works with, she always insists on making sure that she presents in, in that same way. She does grow a little bit as a as an actress, not a lot, but she she gets better. Uh, but essentially, she hasn't continues on with her movie career for quite a couple more decades. And as she goes through, um, she hits a point. There was a point in the forties where uh, there was a article in the newspaper that said that certain and it's interesting it was only actresses it wasn't actors were box office poison and these were all the most powerful actors actresses i'll use the feminine there uh, in hollywood so what they said they'd done is they went and they did a poll of theater owners and said you know who who's box office poison or something like that and they gave them names and it was like betty davis hmm. katherine hepburn Marlena Dietrich. So people like that, people who are the highest paid, most powerful women. It was a takedown. I had no idea, actually. Yeah, that's my opinion. I mean, I don't know if anybody's researched that, but that's it's obvious because they didn't talk about John Garfield. They didn't talk about Charles Boyer. They didn't talk about Cary Grant. They only, it was only women. Only the highest paid women. Interesting. Yeah, yeah exactly. Wow. And so anyway, uh, uh, they each did different things to revivify their career and come back because that really hurt them that that just knocked them down studios were like oh we're not going to renew your contracts or and in marlena's case she didn't have the kind of contract so she was a free agent Catherine uh, hepburn for example she ended up going on to broadway and she got a play called philadelphia that she started in on broadway and then it was made into a film and that film became a big hit in marlena's case she ended up being cast in a movie called destry rides again comedy with James Stewart, and very funny. That was the first one you saw. I think we talked about that a little bit earlier because of yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a big hit, very funny, really good movie. We'll be talking more about it later. And that brought her back. The other thing that brought her back was the fact that we hit World War II, and Marlena, being German, she uh, went under the eye of the government. In fact, if you go, on, at least in our library... You can go online and you can look at the reports that they filed about her. And there was someone who was uh, connected to Jean Gabin. Jean Gabin is a uh, an actor, a French actor. Uh, he's called the French Spencer Tracy. He was a big star in France. Marlena was flipping nuts over him. He came to the U.S. for a short while, and they were together. And uh, someone connected with him, I think it was his agent or lawyer, whatever, began... Uh, informing, making apparently lies about Marlena being a spy for the Nazis and, you know, that she was pro-Nazi and anti-American. And that's just blatant, obvious lie from her life. It's just no one says that except in this particular report. So uh, she was okay, though. I mean, they spied on her and they checked her out and they interviewed people. And anyway, so she went on her war bond Tours and she went over into the European theater of operation and did a lot of entertaining. 
She, she played the musical saw. She played the musical saw, which she was very, very good at. And the soldiers loved that in her beaded gown. She'd get out there and play her musical saw. And she sang and she went to the canteen and she was just so into the soldiers. And she had a ton of affairs with military men and uh, enjoyed that a lot. And in and as part of her tour, she was looking to try to hook up with Jean Gabin again, and she was looking for him, and she found him. At some point, she finally found him in France, and apparently it was sort of like a movie moment, and they got back together for a bit. And then after that, she came back to the United States, and she and Jean broke up. They did a movie together in France. It was terrible. We really saw bad. part of it. It was really bad. On YouTube. Yeah, you can see it on YouTube. It's terrible. What's uh, it called? Martin Romac, M. R no it's O U sounds so mad. <laughs> I got spell here is M O U M A G N A C. Okay, <laughs> terrible. Nineteen forty six. So it was right after the war. That wasn't working out. Uh, basically, uh, it he just it's like he didn't want somebody who was sleeping around with everybody in the world. You know, he wanted to to have a regular relationship, and and she was getting tired of him. I guess she said he was really picky and. Uh, eccentric in her mind and she just she was getting tired of him kind of she wasn't free around him so she came back and then she made movies in the 50s and by the time she got into her 60s her movie uh, career was winding down she was getting smaller parts and you know she couldn't be that iconic beauty anymore she was you know 60 about 60 years old so she actually went on the road became a well she had been a singer she created a singing uh, one woman show with Burt Bacharach as her musical director and Burt and I think she acknowledges this he made that show before she could go in and she could do some songs but he crafted the show he shaped it he orchestrated it and he really helped her become a better singer and presenter because she didn't have much of a range and he, but he made those Arrangements so that they really she could shine. She could really get her dramatic persona out there, and she did that for like ten or twelve years. But unfortunately, Marlena um, became a really addict, drunk. You know, she drugs and drink, and she began falling, and she fell a few times, and she had some real injury to her legs. I guess there, her daughter said there's something about she had some kind of blockage in her in her veins and circulation wasn't getting to her legs and so she fell and she cut herself and the wound couldn't heal because there wasn't enough circulation it was going to go gangrenous and she had to have operations and it just she just went downhill from there downhill a lot and then also she wasn't young and beautiful anymore and that was so much of her identity that it just kind of destroyed her as a person it really did because that was her value and even though she said, oh, I don't care about looks when she was young and beautiful, people do that all the time. Oh, I don't care about looks. I don't care. Oh, that's, uh, I don't care about that. She did. And very deeply to the point where at the end of her life, she was begged to do a documentary. And she wouldn't allow herself to be shot or photographed or any pictures taken of her because she didn't like what she saw. She did have a very sad end. She got into bed and she refused to get out. And even though, you know, she had to walk with a walker, she wouldn't even do that. And apparently her legs atrophied and then she couldn't walk at all. And she drank a lot. And she was like 91 or 91 when she died. And she really hung on a long time, but she was really just sad. (laughs) <laughs> very very sad kind, kind of, of miserable and 
A little mean. Yeah, a little. (laughs) A lot mean. Yeah, well, according to your daughter, she was a lot mean. And when you hear her on this last documentary, you kind of go, yeah, I guess I can kind of see that. I think it's probably pretty true. But we'll talk about some of the highlights uh, of her continuing career. Um, We'll kind of shave them out for you so you don't have to listen to them in a long narrative. Und heißt nur noch Lang. 